This show is brought to you by The Makery, the podcast network for makers. Are you ready? I'm ready. All right, guys. Welcome to the Full Blast Podcast. It's me, Jeff Fader, and I'm here with my friend, Stephanie Hoffman, underground metalwork. She's an extraordinary welder. And she's also one of the judges of Netflix TV show Metal Shop Masters. But before we get talking to Stephanie, we got to take care of a little bit of business. You know what I'm going to say, ladies and germs. We're going to talk about Axe Wax. Axe Wax is an all-natural, food-safe wax for your handles, for your knives, for your steel, for your wood. It's food-safe. So what's going to happen is, is if you're making something that people got to touch, why not give them something that finishes well, but also, you know, food-safe's nice. So if you go to AxeWax.us, put in promo code FULLBLAST10, you're going to get 10% off your entire order, which is great. It's inexpensive stuff. It's great stuff. I just used it on, I used it on all my knives. All my knives that sent out to customers, especially considering I do culinary knives and steak knives and stuff, they all get the Axe Wax. So go get some Axe Wax. Oh, and if you have leather, it's great for leather. It's great for... It's food safe. That means, you know, you don't... It's not, it doesn't mean you have to eat it. It means it's just not going to give you anything icky on whatever you're doing. And if you're in um, Australia, go to NordicEdge.com. Nordic Edge. Sorry, Nordic Edge. NordicEdge.com.au. If you're in the EU, go to uh, knifematerial.at, that's Keith Colby. And if you're in the UK, go to UK Knife Suppliers, that's Toby. Um, They're all taking Full Blast 10, so go get yourself some Full Blast 10 on your Axe Wax, okay? The next thing is, is I'm still getting messages from some of you guys. You're doing business in the DMs. It's a huge mistake. The people you're going to deal with in the DMs are tire kickers. They're people who don't care. They're people who are going to waste your time or they're going to come up with a conversation that maybe you don't want when you're just there trying to sell your stuff. So what you need to do is you need to get a website. If you go to akinteractive.com slash full blast, fill out the paperwork, Andreas Kalani will get you squared away with either a website or he'll fix your website, fix your website, give you a new website. If you have any kind of graphic design work you need to do, uh, logo design, he's going to give you 10% off if you use that link. So go get yourself a new website. I'm telling you, the DMs are a dirty place. Don't be a sucker. Doing business in the DMs is for the birds. It's for it's for tire kickers and time wasters. Don't do that. Don't be involved with that. Get yourself a good website that'll have all your information. It'll allow you to buy what you need to buy, sell what you need to sell, and it'll be it'll work for you 24 hours a day while you're even asleep. So go get yourself a new website. And the last thing I have to do is I have to thank Trojan Horse Forge. Trojan underscore horse underscore forge. They sent me the stable rail knife finishing vice. And this thing is amazing. If you are hand finishing a knife, whether it be hand sanding the blade or fin- hand finishing off the handle, this is the total package. If I know some of you knife makers are just like, yeah, but I get all these 2x4s. Get rid of the 2x4s. It's enough. We don't need the 2x4s anymore. You have the stable rail knife finishing vice, and the thing is amazing. So what you should do is you should go to TrojanHorseForge.com, sign up for the newsletter. And I'm telling you why, because they don't have them available. These things are so hot. You have to get on the newsletter, and then they'll tell you when they are ready to be sold. So you get yourself on that newsletter. You get yourself. They'll send you a message saying, we're ready to sell. And then all of a sudden, you say, you know what, though? It's a lot of money. Maybe I can't really afford all of it right now. Well, they have payment plans. They're trying to make you something that you can afford and enjoy. And I'm telling you this, and I'm not kidding. 
This thing is amazing. I use it for all. now all my hand sanding. Uh, if I have a distal taper, it supports a distal taper. If it has a, if it has an integral bolster, it supports the integral bolster. And if it has, if I'm doing a kukri, which I've never done, but if I will, I will. If I do, I will definitely use the stable rail knife finishing vise. And I want to thank these guys. They're amazing, and. TrojanHorseForge.com and that's Trojan underscore horse underscore forge on Instagram. Okay, got that all out of the way. My guest today is Stephanie Hoffman. Stephanie Hoffman is a fantastic welder. She's an extraordinary person with an incredible story. She's also the face of the American Welding Society. Can't wait to talk about that. She's also one of the judges on Netflix series Metal Shop Masters. Stephanie, how are you? I'm good. Thank you for having me. This is going to be super fun today. I'm so happy that you come, came on the podcast. I'm you're you have an incredible story, and I, I'm I'm I love the story. Part of it is because I fell in love with welding years ago, and I'm I'm grateful to people like you who promote organizations that show people how great welding can be. Yeah. Number one. Did you get a lot of snow? You're down in South Jersey. Did you, <laughs> yeah, did you get beaten terrible. up? I've been shoveling snow for three days. <laughs> you, I, we got, I got 17 inches. It's kind of, we haven't had this much snow in one snowstorm in many years. You, so. you got 17 inches on the Jersey Shore? Yeah, it sucks. <laughs> now, were you, you, were, you were born and raised in the Jersey Shore, right? Uh-huh, yeah. What was that like? Um, awesome. I mean, you know, we have the beach. Yeah. <laughs> So it's kind of nice. You know, we got good pizza, the beach, the boardwalk, rides. I have friends. I spent I, f- I spent some time. We have friends in Lavalette. Oh, that's not so, far from me. Yeah, it's not far. I already figured it out. It, yeah. And Lavalette is so beautiful. It's mm-hmm. that's like, and it's on the water both sides. You yeah. know, it's, it's, on, it's the on the island. island yeah. It's on the island. Yeah. What's amazing about the Jersey Shore is it is such a different culture than a lot of what people assume Jersey, New Jersey's yeah. like. Yeah, for sure. One of the things we used to do, I used to do uh, bicycle, uh, MS bike rides down to Cape May, okay. starting from the top of Lavalette and stuff like that. And yeah. one of the scary parts was uh, how damaged uh, d- during Hurricane Sandy. Mm-hmm. Hurricane Sandy, I mean, leveled yeah. most of the Jersey Shore. Did you, yep. did you and your family have any... Oh, yeah. Real problems from oh, yeah. Sandy? I lived on the water, too. And, um, yeah, we've never flooded before. Never even, like, remotely flooded where I was at. And uh, one second, it was, like, coming to the top of our, our dock. And next thing you know, it was in our living room. We had just gotten done redoing our all-new, brand-new floors, kitchen, everything, like, maybe a week and a half prior. And then uh, we were like, oh, we're not going to leave. It's not going to be that bad. You know, we've, we've lived through hurricanes. It's, we live on the shore. It's what happens here. And, uh, yeah, uh, big mistake. We were without power, I think, like, 24 days or so, 21 days, somewhere in there. My mom's house was destroyed, completely leveled. Like, we had about three feet of water, maybe two feet, two, three feet of water. She had, like, six feet of water in her house, um, had to be completely demolished. Like, we were able to kind of salvage it. And then um, my ex's mother-in-law at the time, um, her house was destroyed, too, so we really didn't have anywhere to go. Uh, so I was washing pots and pans in the in the upstairs tub, and you know, using a microwave and eating out every night. Yeah, it kind of sucked. But my one of my last jobs doing any welding in a fabrication shop was after 
Hurricane Sandy. I was I, I was in the last shop I was in was a, a fabrication shop. We did a lot of metal fabrication for union jobs and for job mm-hmm. sites and stuff like that. We got contracted to make these berms for this building in lower Manhattan that was that got flooded. They had an I guess they had an elevator room, a pump room, a pump and elevator oh, okay. room. The problem was was because you know Lower Manhattan got so flooded yeah. that the pump couldn't the pump couldn't f- take the water out of the building fast enough, and that was the biggest problem in New York. Is you know New York City, it's it's like it's a drainage nightmare. Yeah, and I remember when we went to the job site, we had to build these berms to slow the water down in case that happened again. Yeah. So we had to measure these openings and and make these berms to slow the and that was the, the contractor says we're not going to be able to get the water out but we can slow it down <laughs> you can slow it down we can slow it down and it was just like it seemed so overwhelming yeah it was i was just like you know what are you are you going to caulk these seams between the steel and the building i mean what do you what i i mean it's he's like he's like we don't care get something yeah. up to slow the water down yeah and, like, and a lot of it wasn't even like Maybe the, we all know that this can happen again. Hopefully it never does. But like the insurance companies, they like screwed us all. So like if you still live on the water here, you're the flood table like expanded now because of it. So now people who live like even maybe they don't live directly on the water, but maybe within a mile. Now all of a sudden your flood insurance is like sky high. If you live on the water, you have to have all these different types of like shutters and this and that and or they want you to raise your house or they were dropping you from coverage like a lot of it was just like silly stuff too like it wasn't going to make a difference if we got flooded again it was just shit that they wanted us to spend money on and that really sucked i know too many people who got one over on the insurance companies for hurricane sandy i know that like houses you know like sheds that were going to be taken yeah. down anyway, turned into uh, BMWs. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I do know a couple of those stories. Just like, you know what? People like you are the reason why a lot of people are having a lot of problems. But I, oh, yeah. I mean, Sandy was, <laughs> I, for us, I mean, we were out of power, Sandy, for, and we're just, I'm in northern Westchester. I'm right on the Hudson, I'm on the Hudson River. So we're mm-hmm. like high up and everything like that. We didn't right. get any, but we got a lot of rain. And I just remember we, the school was out of power. My kid's school was out of power for seven days. And mm-hmm. I had to bring her to the break room of my, the metal shop that I was working in. And she hung out in the break room for seven <laughs> days. Yeah. And I think that that turned her off from metal working. Oh, no. <laughs> I think that that was just like, I'm not. And the guys were all cool. You know, we had this, this is lousy break room, but it was like, the guys were super nice. My boss was just like thrilled that I wasn't like calling in saying I can't mm-hmm. take care of, you know, I got to take care of my kid or whatever. He was like going out of his way to make sure she had the Wi-Fi and you yeah. know, he would like get her stuff. Oh, awesome. To like no. keep her because he was well. I mean, it was awesome because he just wanted to make sure I didn't, yeah, like, I didn't like didn't like call in. He, he, I mean, yeah. he could have been like he could have been like you know you know he was just like what is she what is she let me get her I'm gonna get her some yeah. lunch I'm gonna get her some lunch I'm like all right take it easy boss everything's okay I'm not gonna go anywhere he's like yeah I just want to make sure you know so oh that's awesome though well when you were younger. Your story is so interesting because your dad was a contractor, right? And he did yeah, was heavy concrete? construction. Was yeah. he involved in concrete or paving? Yeah, he ran a paving company. I love the story that you've told where you said that he took you to a job site mm-hmm. and that there was a welder working on the job site who was hard facing uh, like a dumpster, uh, like, a, yeah. like a construction bucket. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And... The way you describe how your dad talks about this welder yeah. was the turning point, wasn't it? Oh, yeah. That's what kind of like piqued my interest, you know, because 
you know, a sad story turned good, I guess. Right. My dad, he was an alcoholic. That's what he passed away from. But like I spent my whole childhood, I had two older brothers and stuff and they're, you know, they do boy things. Dad likes to hang out with the guys, you know, whatever, and drink beers. He likes to go out and drink beers and ride dirt bikes and do all that type of stuff. So I was like vying for any type of attention that I could get from my dad. And when I saw how like enamored he was and how into the welding stuff he was and like the fact that I even like remotely was like, Ooh, what's that? And not freaked out by it. He was like super jazzed on it. And then, um, I think it was just one of those things like subconsciously, I was like, well, my dad thinks this is cool. Maybe this is a way for me to get to like, you know, spend more time with my dad or this or that. So it ended up turning into something that like he was so, uh, I don't want to say bad word, but he was so pumped to curse your your heart. Your heart's content. (laughs) No problem here. So he was just like so pumped to hear that I was interested in this. And like, he couldn't wait to get me like started and trying it. And, um, and that's kind of where it it just kind of grew from there. And then, you know, I'm very type A personality. So like if I'm going to try something or do something, it's going to be like perfect. You know, like there's no like half-assing anything. So it it ended up being a really good fit for somebody like me. But it's so bizarre because I'm in the same situation. Whereas I, my father was kind of like really distant. He was, di- yeah. he was distant. Let's just say distant. And there were things that he liked and then I, re- you pick up on as a child, yeah. and you pick up on the things that you're trying to get the attention of your parents, and then all of a sudden you decide, well, maybe if he likes that, then maybe if I do that, he'll like me. Yeah, there, exactly. That's, I mean, that's my my father growing up. I mean, he loved he he. We would drive in the car, and he really wouldn't talk to me, but he would listen to the radio, and then he'd laugh at the radio. Mm-hmm. And I just had to. I was like speaking into microphones when I was a child because I wanted. If that guy can make my dad laugh, then maybe I can too. Right. But it is one of those things that's just like, you know, luckily it turned into like this passion for you. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I've been doing it. This is 22 years since I started. That's amazing. Yeah. The story you, you the, the story of you going into vocational school, was it vocational school? Mm-hmm. Yeah, what, high what, school. What, what made you decide to go to the vocational school that your mother ended up having to threaten to sue them? <laughs> that's crazy. Like, you don't think like... It's just a weird thing because over the last, gosh, ten, five to ten years is really when all of a sudden women have suddenly like gaining momentum in the trades, right? Because there's such work shortage numbers for for skilled trades people in the industry because everybody was going to college right. and this and that. So now they're like, okay, half the population is women, so now they're going to tap into that. So like nowadays, what we're used to seeing is people marketing and advertising and trying to pull more women into these industries. But when I started, that wasn't the case. Like it still was very much getting into welding, especially was like a man's job and not Hmm. just like any typical guy. It was like a big burly man. And I'm four foot 11. And at the time I was like a hundred pounds. So like I didn't fit the mold even close to what most companies would even look for if they were going to hire a woman. Right. So um, I was started taking welding classes when I was in, in high school as like an elective, you know, like the 40 minute, you know, metal shop class where it's really just like kind of like the the burnout type kids take yeah. it so that yeah. they can like smoke cigarettes up, right. the, you know, <laughs> the sure. extraction system. Yeah. So I was there because I really wanted to like learn how to how to weld. And then when I found out that the vocational school offered a welding program, I was like, perfect. You know, I'm going to sign up for this in my junior and senior year. I can like, you know, dip out on actual like schoolwork type stuff. And like that counts as my, you know, schooling now. 
So I was super into it. And when I went to sign up, I was, they basically were like, yeah, no, you, you can't, this class isn't for you. No, like, thanks. <laughs> like out of the, right out of the gate, like as soon as you showed up, they said they didn't even let you have the application or? No, they let me they apply. But so we put the application in. I was like one of the first people to like hand it right. into the guidance counselor. Like I was so excited about yeah. this. Like dad's I was like gonna, waiting for dad's them. dad's going to know. Yeah. Dad's going to know. Okay. Go ahead. Yeah. And uh, so I was just like. All right, I got to get this application in like ASAP because I know it can be like kind of competitive to get into this program or whatever. So, but made sure my application was in like way before other kids in my school had them in. And I remember, and the only reason why I knew that I was passed off um, was because this kid Todd, I won't say his last name, but this kid Todd, who was kind of like, like he had like no real ambition. It was just like, oh, just pick a class and, and we'll put you in a program, right? Right. And so he got put into this welding class over me and he handed in his application like weeks after mine. I'm like, all right, that's one kid. And then I heard about another kid and then another kid. And now there's like three or four people that I heard are in this. And I'm still waiting here. Like, why am I not getting an approval to get into this program? So my mom finally was like, you know, why isn't she getting in? She's getting passed up. There's kids that she knows for a fact handed in. Like she got the application as soon as they were out and we turned it in the next morning. You know, all these other kids are waiting forever. And she's like, you know, what's what's going on? And they flat out told my mom. They were like, well, you know, we just don't know if it'll be a good idea. We don't know if we have the facilities for for a woman, you know, a girl in the program. Um, there's never been a girl in the program before. That's and this crazy. is in like the 2000s. I was you just going to like say the, this is like the, <laughs> the 2000s? 2000s. That's crazy. Yeah. So my mom was like, all right, um, I hear what you're saying, but I'm going to call you back tomorrow and I'm going to really hope you have a different answer for me. And, um, I guess, you know, my mom not taking that for an answer, uh, put a little bit of fear in them yeah. and they ended up the next day changing their tune and got me in the program, but they made it seem like it was a big deal to put me in the program. And yeah, I wonder, silly. do you think, I mean, obviously it's extraordinary that your mother went to bat for you like that. Yeah. I was thinking about that story because part of me would think, if it was me, if it was me, and I always had that situation, just because I was, you know, I'm just like, I'm just, I have such a terrible opinion of myself. I would say, well, if they don't want me. Why would I want to be there? Yeah, I'm amazed that you guys did that. It's inc- it's, ex- it's, ex- it's an incredible testament to your mother. And yeah, well, they didn't want that. me there once I was there. <laughs> well, that's see, that's, <laughs> that's what I'm thinking. Sure. So now that what I'm wondering is, is that put a black mark on you as soon as you start the classes? Oh, it was like put the microscope on me when yeah. I walked in there. What do you think that why do, do you think that you, do you oh, man, that must have been tough walking in knowing that, you know, they're going to deem me as being difficult. Right? Oh, yeah. Oh, oh, yeah. You were deemed as like the problem child right oh. off the rip. And then, you know, it was just. It just became like, how can the guys like, and it's funny because I'm like friends with some of these people now and like looking back, I'm like, I like hated you so much. You were so mean Mm. to me. But I mean, they would do everything from like electrocuting me, um, you know, trying to like, they would turn up my, turn off my gas. They would turn up my machines. They would just do everything to make me look bad. Right. And they would do this thing. They had uh, Stephanie's wall of shame and they would get like, like three, four on each other's shoulders, like monkey on each other and go up this I beam. And then they would weld all their crappy stuff to the I beam so that, and they would, and they carved into the paint. It says Stephanie's wall of shame. And it wasn't even my stuff, but they just like, they love to see me get like angry and riled up. And uh, there was this one time, I was working on a trailer and they would get mad because the 
the instructor knew that I was good at what I did. So I got asked to do a lot of like extra jobs, you know, stuff right. that he could trust like the better students on. And they didn't like that. So like the one time and I got so mad because they started messing with me. And I remember picking up the clamps and I like chucked it at this kid. <laughs> and the instructor, he's like, I didn't see anything. And he just walks away and I like shoved him up against the locker. And I like got so upset and I like left. And I was like, I'm never doing this anymore. I can't take it anymore. I can't tell you how many times I would like, you know, leave that program just like being like, I'm done. Why am I doing this to myself? This isn't worth it. This can't be worth it, you know? And I just kept going back and the instructor would just be like, listen, just chill out. You're doing awesome. Screw what they're thinking. But then it got even harder when I started trying to go for jobs. Again, I'm four foot 11 and I'm walking into like job sites and I didn't want to go and work for my dad because I don't want to be like the boss's daughter type right, of thing. Right, so right. I started trying to find other places to work. And I mean, some of these places, it was like, oh, I might as well just go to school for cosmetology at this point. I'm never going to get hired. I'm never getting a job that's half worth the shit. Like I was getting like the worst of the worst jobs, like uh, in Point Pleasant, which right outside of El Avalet, I was working at uh, one of the shipyards there, literally like scraping barnacles off of stuff and like like heating stuff up with an oxy fuel torch. And like and there's like the grossest of gross like fishermen guys and nothing against like the fishing and marine industry don't worry um, don't but it wasn't a place for me that's for sure and it's it's you know in january february when the boats are out of the water and stuff but they're the only place that would hire me so i got hired with another kid and i remember thinking like this job sucks so badly but i need something to like start proving my worth right so i stuck it out and i my only goal was i knew he hated it and I only cared about not quitting before he quit. And then once he quit, the next <laughs> go back, I was spite. like, ah. Did spite. <laughs> he quit first. So, like, I was never the one that got made fun of for that. Like, I, I had to, like, pre-think about that type of stuff, you know? What do you think, but what do you think made you keep going back to, I mean... If if when I was a kid, if I didn't like like I hated karate, I hated it. The, the karate instructor was so mean to me, and I just didn't like him. Yeah. And I just turned to my mother, and I'm like, I don't want to go back. And she goes, Okay, don't go back. What yeah. made you? What gave you the strength to just keep going back, even though you're getting, you know, I mean, for three guys to stand on each other's shoulders to go through this elaborate. You know, it's so it's so humiliating. Yeah. What is it? What was it that kept you going back? I really just liked it. Yeah. I really enjoyed it. I loved the challenge behind it because it was difficult for me. I liked the satisfaction, too, that I got out of proving people wrong. Yeah. So, like, I got an anodized 6G certification. So, it's like it's a, a pipe joint on okay. a 45 and you have to weld it, you know, like all positions okay. and everything. And I did it with anodized aluminum instead of just regular, like, mill finished aluminum. I got it my very first try. And my welding instructor had tried that test three times and he couldn't pass it. And I passed it as a 17 year old in high school, my very first rip. And it was like doing stuff like that, that like, like showing people like, hey, this is my welding instructor who's been welding 20 something years and I'm doing this. I've been welding for a couple handful of years at this point and I've only been welding anodized aluminum for a handful of months and I just totally destroyed that test and passed it first go. Do you think I've, I've had I when I, I was in a metal shop a number of years ago and I would help teach younger, you know, the younger people how to TIG weld just because we were doing a lot of nothing crazy but I mean we were doing railings and stuff like that and sometimes we just needed stuff TIG welded and it was kind of neat and you know it was like you know it was a fun class not yeah. a class but it was just like I was teaching the younger people working in the shop how to TIG weld 
and I, I noticed this, and I could be wrong. Tell me if I'm wrong. I noticed that the women who were in the shop picked up TIG welding twice as fast as the guys. Yeah. And I came to the conclusion, and this is, there's no, I have no st- statics, uh, stats on this. I just, this was my own opinion. I felt like they had much more, they were much more willing to listen. Yeah. They had much more finesse. I'm not talking about MIG welding. I'm talking about TIG welding. They had much more fi- finesse and dexterity, and they felt like they had something to prove. Yeah. I mean, I would say that's probably pretty true. The attention to detail yeah. and being able to pick up nuances and what's happening when you're TIG welding from sounds to pressure on either your foot pedal or your finger control, puddle size, watching the edges. Like, I feel like all of that stuff kind of comes into play. And sometimes guys, they get very overzealous and think, well, I can do this. Yeah. Well, then that's going to be easy. Um, but like when I first started welding, I legitimately thought, I could never be a TIG welder. I only got that certification because I was trying to show up my instructor. Right. Oh, it was more geez. so like a thing for me. Like Spite. I was getting, I already had like my, my D one, one, like all my structural certs and stuff. And what I thought that I was going to do was I thought I, I was only wanted to be like a structural welder or a pipe welder. And like, I used to do like stick welding, like pressure vessels and hydraulic recapping and all that type of stuff. I'm nodding I thought, like I, I'm nodding like I pretend like I know what you're talking about. But yeah, fine. so Just, it's all like it's heavy stick welding, industrial, course, like big thick crap, right? I'm with you, of course. So, Go ahead. So I was doing all of this work, and I thought that was the only stuff I was ever going to do because that was like the most manly, you know, aggressive, dirty type yeah. of welding. So that was how I was going to prove myself. Was like I needed if I'm going to be a welder, I got to be like the most rugged type of welder. So right. I was like. I don't even want to TIG weld. TIG welding's for like, you know. It's the fly fishing of welding. So, it's the fly yeah, fishing so of like, welding. I don't right? want I understand. TIG weld. I know. And I was working at this place and I just, I was doing all these pressure vessels and stuff. And I was like, my boss is a jerk off. Um, like, is this really the end of it for me? You know, is this, I'm like, all right. So I either get to go into the union travel all over or let me see what else is out there real quick you know let me before i go and like jump any into any like big you know apprenticeship programs and stuff like that um so i went down to a yacht company where it was all anodized pipe work all bow rails and hard tops and stuff for like multi like the cheapest boat was probably like 2.2 million dollars that i've ever worked on right and uh i ended up getting down there and i freaking loved it Keep going, keep going, keep going, yeah. keep going, right? I'm listening. Yeah. And, I, and I just and I just loved it. And uh, from then on, I just kind of always revolved my career as much as possible around. Sorry about that. I, um, no, you're all right. My power around, is like, out. Sorry, everybody. I'm sorry. <laughs> all of a sudden, I noticed I was running out of power. Sorry about that. You oh, were saying? Uh-oh. No, no my dog's barking. Don't worry about the dog. It was my fault. I apologize. So you were saying? But yeah, so like from, you know, wanting to get away from that crappy boss I had, I just decided I was going to get, you know, take another job opportunity possibly. And my, my welding instructor, he said, oh, why don't you go down here and see and see if they've got any work? So I said, okay. So I, you know, went down there. They set me up. Never done much TIG welding at all. Like I didn't do it professionally anywhere. So they set me up and just loved it and fell in love with yeah. it. And then I just stuck with doing a lot of uh, different alloys and aluminum and anodized aluminum work and coppers and stainlesses. Um, so I just really enjoyed doing that. So that's kind of why think, I stuck with it. What do you think it is about weld? You know, 
you know this. I mean, you love welding, and I know that. I know that I love welding. When I first started to weld, I loved it. And there's there's such this there's this satisfaction and, and love for welding. I mean, you don't see this with like glazers. Yeah. Guys yeah. who are like caulking don't get yeah. fired up about caulking. The guys yeah. who are, you know you don't hear, you don't feel like this. You know there are like hashtags on Instagram weld porn and people love yeah. the physical act of welding once they yeah. get into it. What do you think that is? What do you think it is that really kind of resonates with people? I'm not talking about ma- what they're making, yeah. but the actual welding in and of itself. Um, I think it's like an ego thing for most welders. I think it's like bragging rights. You know what? I liked, I always say this is I think that the whole idea of welding and the art behind it has changed so much since social media has come out. Because before that, like people weren't able to like criticize and critique welds and be like, oh, this is better than this type of welding. Right. And, right. and welding this process is better than that. Um, so I think like Instagram and Facebook and all those things had a lot to do with it with that like that ego thing that comes with being a good welder. It's like being able to get into that really tight, awkward position and be hot and sweaty and gross and wearing all this big, heavy gear and, you know, being able to go in there and get the job done. Perfect x-ray, you know, and I think it's just an ego thing. It seems to me like I think about it a lot because it is one of those things where some people, when they get it down, it's like it just even just the weld, not what yeah. they're making, but the weld. And part of me wonders if it is, you know, a lot of times some people, people who go into maybe it's the type of person who goes into welding that they're taking something that has a degree of a discipline. Like a lot of people think yeah. that welding is just holding the, holding a MIG gun up and then, you know, in the air and it just making noise and it happens. Yeah. <laughs> if there's so there's so much more, as you know, I mean, you're, you're a teacher for Christ's sake. Yeah. There's so much more setup involved. Mm-hmm. There's so much more preparation involved. It yeah, almost, to do it correctly. It almost feels as though when you... When someone figures out how to prepare material and and get their you know their travel correct and getting mm-hmm. their settings right and getting everything right and then they run that bead, it's almost like this physical feeling of of that you're that you're that you're worth something and it is yeah. different from it's different from carpentry because there is almost like it's almost, welding in and of itself is almost like calligraphy where. Mm-hmm. There's no stop, you know, if, I mean, of course, if you can grind it out and re-weld it together, but if you're welding it right the first time, there's a, like, there's this poetry in this mm-hmm. one movement, this very yeah. fluid movement. And once you get it right, you feel like I'd listen to the instructions. I yeah. use discipline. I organize myself and I created something that is valued on a you know a, yeah. a, a, a global level yeah. in terms of like the and it, and it makes probably makes you feel as though you're worth more than you, maybe you thought you were yeah and again I, it just plays into that ego drive yeah. you know like yeah. people just like to know like they can do you, it that you can do it right. and they like when other people come up and go oh wow that was, that was really good i can't believe you did that you know like there's just something about the challenge and you know, there's lots of people who just sit and do bench work all day. You know, they're just sitting welding the same parts all day, every yeah. day. But like, 
they're meticulous and perfect. And then there's the guy sitting right next to them and it's just garbage. And there's just something about being able to be that person who's like the sander and painter. They're just like, wow, I don't have to touch these, you know, but it's the other guy that you see the boss always hounding. And you're like, yeah, that feels good. That was, that was the move. I mean, when we were doing railings, we were doing railings. Uh, and, uh, my, my lead, the lead guy was telling me, he's like, I want you to weld these downhill yeah. because the well, the weld will be nice and tight. You're going to clean up all that mill scale. They're going to, you're going to be great. And we're not going to have to grind them out yeah. so if you weld them nice yeah. straight to the painter and then I'm going to give you a beer because I don't and want and that saves the company yeah, money you know like I own a fabrication money. company I own a fabrication company and like time is money and money is time yeah. you know like that's that's most business owners favorite saying right and yeah. anything that's going to save the company money you know you're going to be praised for it I just think there's a different level of appreciation for our yeah. skill set maybe that's not it, the same in other, in other industries well it is, it is once you learn how to weld you know, and I'm not the best welder. I welded for a long time, but I'm like, I never, I, you know, I got into blacksmithing and I almost kind of gave, I almost gave up on welding. I'm just yeah. like, okay, all right, I got to stick together. But there is this one, there is a, a few moments when you become proficient enough that when you're in a welding shop and you hear somebody welding badly, mm-hmm. that's when you know you've kind of reached a different level yeah. when you've you hear the guy down the way. What are you doing? What's going on with your settings? How come mm-hmm. you're so? Cl- how come you're so far? How come you're so far away from yeah. the material? And they're just. What do you mean? I'm like, I can hear you're sputtering, or you know, your your speed's wrong, or yeah. I hear it's, it's, it sounds terrible. Whatever you're doing, your weld sounds terrible. Yeah. And I feel like that's like that level where you become kind of more like that next belt up in in your in your notch. You oh know? yeah, absolutely. I mean, and the cool thing with welding is there's so many different types of applications and processes and and materials and filler wires and like heat treatment post treatment you know like there's yeah. so many little caveats that like it's you know you build a house and there's a beautiful carpenters but the wood might vary between like a cherry or an oak or something like that but the process of cutting the wood and putting it together is probably pretty similar regardless of what type of wood you're using correct exactly yeah so like with welding though every little caveat that changes changes how you're gonna you know complete the process and you're not waiting for glue to dry yeah that sucks. Gotcha. No one wants no that. That's actually <laughs> when I first when I first started the the first time I started well I, the first time I knew about welding was when I used to watch the A Team, and mm-hmm. Mr. T B A Baracus would be doing some like you know he'd be he'd have a, a torch and then he'd have like a, a MIG helmet on or something like that and it was like very clearly you know just sparks and stuff and yeah. I just remember <laughs> in art school or in college when I was in an art class I was waiting to use the bandsaw because growing up my dad taught me how to use the bandsaw mm-hmm. and I just remember the line going to the bandsaw everyone was a to use the welders mm-hmm. in my fr- I'll never forget my close friend Dan Levine who was an art major he turns he he whispers over to me and he goes hey kid don't wait for glue to dry come over here and yeah. he taught me how to weld and I was just like I was terrified and I was scared and I didn't understand it and I didn't get it and and yeah. then he showed me how to do it and I was like there was there's no line for the there's no line for the welders so yeah. let's just make this sculpture out of steel <laughs> you know yeah for sure and that's the other cool thing about welding is like Certain applications, like if you're looking to get like an art finish to things like David Madero from the show, like he doesn't even know how to like what his settings on his machine do. He just knows if he turns a bunch of knobs, something crazy is going to come out of the other end. And like, that's what makes welding so cool. You can take something that is, in my eyes, utter trash when it comes to a weld and make something freaking amazing and fabulous and textured and just gorgeous. I have to get back to David Madero when we get to the art department. 
section of this podcast because yeah. <laughs> I have a different opinion. I, he knows exactly what he's doing. Actually, he's fast. His his the way he we're going to talk about art in the late. We had to talk about art a little bit later, but I, uh-huh. I make sure I get back to David Madera because yeah. what he does is different oh, than yeah. a lot of people. He, do. He's crazy. He's he's not crazy. He's, he knows the what amount he's doing. of talent Don't, he has is. Don't let Legendary. him think. Don't let him think he doesn't know what he's doing. Oh, it's I yell at him all the time. It's obnoxious, obnoxious. <laughs> he knows like, exactly. I know. I know what he's doing, and I and I understand. But it's there's a philosophy there thing that he needs. He's, he's gonna, we're gonna have to talk about. Yeah. So, what made you want to go into the military? Were you run off too many jobs, and you just decided to join the army? Or no? Again, it was one of those things that uh, my whole life. It's like I'm a very motivated person by people doubting. Yeah, guess. spite. So you like, love spite. My, yeah. So like yeah. my two older brothers, they went into the military and I was like, well, if they can do it. I'm going to do it. Yeah. And then like I when my one brother graduated from basic training. He had a female drill instructor. And I was like, I want to be a drill instructor. So like that's the whole reason why I went into the military was just so I could be a drill sergeant. You just wanted to yell at your brothers. That's really what you wanted to do. People. You wanted to be an authority. So you could, that's interesting. That's interesting. Yeah. And, and, and I so I went in and. Uh, they so I I scored too high on the ASVAB, so they yeah. wouldn't let me do anything like fun and mechanical. It was like you can be a cryptologist, UAV operator, uh, signal analyst, intel analyst, and an imagery analyst. And I was like, I don't even know how to turn a computer on. Yeah. <laughs> so I my brother uh, who had been in, he just recently retired. Actually, twenty two years in, uh, he was a sergeant major and. Uh, he was like, well, be an Intel analyst. It's great crossover when you get out. You know, it's a backup plan if you don't want to weld anymore. So I got a, got a degree in intelligence, uh, intelligence operations and homeland security and have TSSCI security clearances while I was in the military. And I hated it. What were <laughs> it was you, not for me. I mean, what were you? I mean, it sounds like you were doing a lot of like reports what were you what was your what were you doing i mean if whatever you can talk about i mean what, what yeah kind of stuff uh, i can't really talk too much i could i was stationed uh, most of my time i was in arizona and then i did most of my time in south korea on the dmz north korea and south korea uh mostly what i dealt with though was human trafficking believe it or not really? over there in asia yeah so i was a g2 sergeant major's assistant actually which is kind of a big deal yeah for, for there but that- i was with second infantry division and uh at at division level, my echelon was uh, pretty high there <laughs> that I was oh. working for. So, so what was the, what you, your brother said there would be carryover for from yeah. the army? What was the, what would have been the carryover? Where it would you... be going to work for like government contractors oh, okay. and stuff, doing intel work, being an analyst for them. Um, I just must death have been by a... PowerPoint. It just wasn't for me. Yeah, it must have been. A, I mean, especially if you, I mean, you know, the idea of being a maker is you're like yeah. actually physically manifest you know putting something yeah. in the in the and in i'm the an world, artist you know? you know like when i don't i don't feel like what i do with welding i don't feel like i'm an artist there because i'm not like a sculptor or anything like that um but like i i used to love drawing and i yeah. want to probably be a tattoo artist and funny i just now do a lot of work for tattoo artists right. um but you know and then i go in there and i had nothing and i love music like i play a bunch of instruments i love the punk scene and all that stuff and i just didn't fit in either when i was in the military at least when i was a welder like i fit in with the with the people that i was working with even if they liked me or not like now it's funny now everybody likes me but at least i think they do <laughs> but back then um but like the people that i worked with in the military they were 
I just didn't fit in. Like, they wanted to go back, and nothing against if you're into, like, World of Warcraft and playing those types of things, but, like, that's what they did, and I just didn't get it. And they would go to comic book stores and all this, and, like, I just wanted to, like, like, I was building, like, like, I was all into, like, drifting cars and, you know, doing all, like, doing that type of stuff. Like, I made my own right-hand drive car when I was 18, you know? And, like, none of these people were into that type of stuff, you so know? So you were stationed with a bunch of nerds. I, yeah. I mean, <laughs> I let's just, call let's, that, let's, I, mean, yeah. I, I mean, I don't, I mean, no offense to whoever you're I mean, I ended up having to become, like... I, I ended up becoming friends with all the interrogators, actually, because they were pretty gnarly bunch <laughs> so that would have been friends. that I'm, i would imagine that that would have been very i th- i find i i am a i read a lot of like books from like negotiators mm-hmm. because i'm really fascinated by the human on how i've i always f- feel like uh t- when you speak with someone conversate i think that com- communication is like a combination lock and if you have mm-hmm. the right combination you get what you want so i'm i always read about like people who are very uh persuasive i read yeah. about like but it, it always ends up i'm end up you know hostage negotiator books yeah. and that's all i read is like to how to get people to you know say what they, I, those people are fascinating because yeah. they understand they understand the human you know connection at a very very different level and they're really you should, uh, you should interview my brother then he was uh, the one who retired as sergeant major he was a uh, in the seventh special forces group and that was his job as an interrogator and yeah, he's, he's been all over the place but he's not he's gonna a little, tell me he's a little good. crazy now but. but he's not gonna tell me anything he's gonna give me the bullshit he's not gonna tell me anything he's not gonna no, tell me tweaked. the stuff i want he's not gonna tell me the stuff i want to know but i mean that is you know that there is something about that that's i gotta imagine i like the fact that i like the fact that you were just like I, these aren't the people for me you yeah. decide to leave and one of the things that was interesting to me and i almost want to feel like this might have been like a turning point in your life is out of the army somebody reaches out to you to ask you to become a welding tech mm-hmm. that was a very generous thing for that person to do who was this person and what was the opportunity so um when i got out of the military uh my daughter was an infant so I was like, what am I going to do? Like, that's yeah. when that's when I separated from the military after a couple of years. I got out uh, to raise my daughter because I didn't right. have like a stable family, you know, right. care plan and stuff like that. Um, so he reached out and, and it was my former welding instructor. There you go. Yeah. And he was like, so how hey, did he like, know, how did he know that you were in the United States and you were potentially there for something? We stayed like that man. Like I always say that he is like my second father. Yeah. He encouraged me, pushed me, uh, made me the person that can take any bit of criticism when it comes to the industry. I mean, he set me up to be successful in this industry, really. It, it truly was because of him. And when he called me up and was like, hey, I think this opportunity could be good for you. It's good hours. You know, you'd still be able to, like, you know, figure it out with your daughter, with daycare, stuff like that. And I said, OK. And then I fell in love with with teaching. What an a, accident. What a generous thing for that guy to do. Yeah. And I was, he never had a, he never had like a, like a, a second instructor in the program. And I was like, are you sure they're going to let me in there? So I did all like the TIG instruction and wow. stuff. And it was awesome. That's a, quite a unique situation. Cause you know, you, a lot of times I've always thought I've been in unique situations where I've made my own jobs. Like mm-hmm. I've reached out to companies without there being like a job 
you know, a job in its, of itself. But then, you know, I've worked it. I've worked to my way into situations where I've made my own job, which is always yeah, I like think a, that's what I do now for the AWS. It's a good feeling. But, but so, <laughs> I think so, I created this job. <laughs> well, but I mean, I'm, I'm just saying that, like, there is something about that where you maybe you don't realize you need me, but maybe you need me. And I, and I, yeah. I wonder I, I, it is a very it is a very generous thing for him to make that decision because he's known what you've gone through. He knew yeah. what you went through back in the day with these jerks doing yeah. all the things that they're doing. I'm sure they're not jerks now, but I'm just, you know, using vernacular. <laughs> no, I'm still friends with a lot of them. <laughs> all right. Well, I apologize to those jerks. But some I, I've, insulted, jerks. <laughs> I've insulted the jerks. I've insulted the nerds. I've insulted all these people in your fa- in your life. I apologize. <laughs> um, how did you, so how did you get involved with the American Welding Society? Uh, just being a loudmouth girl from Jersey, I guess. <laughs> Honestly, everybody always said, everybody asks me. And uh, so, so crazy. I was, I was a welding instructor at the Votech, decided I went back into welding. I left there, went back into welding, doing anodized aluminum stuff again. I was like, really miss teaching. I want to be a teacher. Thought I'd never get hired as a welding instructor. Got a degree in education thinking I was going to go be a middle school history teacher or something like that. Right. Mm. So I'm teaching at a Votech now. I have my very own program. I think I was one of the first women in the state of New Jersey to run a, a welding program solo with no other wow. uh, male, male counterpart. And I did this in South like Farmville, USA, New Jersey, not like, you know, very uh, metropolitan Jersey Shore, yeah. North Jersey, like where um, there's more of a melting pot of, of, of viewpoints, right? I was in like where it's very old school, traditional, you know, men do these types of jobs type of part of New Jersey. And they ended up loving me. It was mm. great. And I got super involved with the American Welding Society um, because I was literally cold calling local business. I was driving two hours each way to work. So I was doing four hours a day commuting to go teach. I cried my first paycheck. I was like, what have I done? <laughs> so I um, got real involved. I wanted to make sure these kids succeeded and, and had every opportunity possible. But I don't know their area very well. I'm two hours from home. So I'm calling up as I'm driving. I'd see like a, you know, a heavy industrial type vehicle on the side of the road. I'd look them up on Google. I'd call them. Hey, do you guys need welders? What kind wow. of training do you guys look for? I would cold call these companies and made this huge network of um, different industry folks that were supporting now my program. So I actually was working with this nuclear containment company, Holtec, and I was training my students to go and work for them. And they were like, what are you doing to these students? How are they coming out of your program literally so proficient in what we're doing here? So they wanted to hire me. And I was going through the whole rigmarole. And I, and I ended up turning. It was stupid money that they were. I was being offered. What's stupid and, money? Give me a what's ballpark. That? What's stupid money? Uh, Tell me decently what's into the six figures. From teacher salary to that. So yeah, that's a tough. Why do you turn that down? That's like that's like some real life changing money right there. It, it was. I mean, and that's the funny thing, because I went from making six figures to getting into teaching and now having to teach bartend on the Jersey Shore in the summer and then work at my buddy's fab shop, too, oh. and then started a night program in order to make six figures and keep that that money going. So now um, they offered me this job. I wasn't doing all that extra stuff anymore. I had met my husband now at this point. And he was like, listen, like, do what's going to make you happy. Is working in the nuclear industry really going to do it? Like, you're going to be a paper pusher now. You're not going to be hands-on doing the teaching. So I turned it down. But meanwhile, for these years that I was teaching now, these four years, 
I was going to all these AWS meetings, local meetings. My district director was sending me down to Miami headquarters um, for like the Instructors Institute Leadership Symposium. I was going to Fabtech and going to all their mixers and anywhere that I could get in and talk to these people. Because when I think the American Welding Society, you know, being somebody who has a lot of certifications, you think that's like the the Supreme Court of the welding industry. It's kind of a scary thing, right? You think all these people must be so intimidating that work there. And I just started telling them, like, listen, your industry, your organization is not representing the industry. It's scary. It's intimidating. Like, people don't know how to be involved. Like, you're not showcasing and highlighting and championing us, right? So... I just kept jam- yammering at all these things. Yeah. And, and I was telling them, like, a lot of welding instructors don't have, like, I have a degree in education. A lot of welding instructors don't have that. So they don't know how to teach effectively, you know, problem-solving skills, cooperative learning. Like, how, did the, how do you teach kids with IEPs and 504s, like, to have special needs and, and learning, you know, all this stuff that goes on when you're a teacher? And... I just wanted to bring more light to that. So I would go to these things and talk and talk and talk. And then finally, you know, a couple of years go by. I turned down that job working for the nuclear company. And like two weeks later, I get a random email from one of the guys that I was chit-chatting with. And he's like, hey, um, you know, we have this careers and welding trailer. We really think you would be a great brand ambassador. a A what kind of trailer? It's a careers and welding trailer. It's a 53-foot tractor trailer, 85-foot in total length, and it expands out about 25-foot, has all these, like, simulators, all this interactive stuff on it, and it tours the country for 18 weeks a year. Did you have to drive it? I don't get to drive it, no. There's nothing left of this country. God. (laughs) He's telling me that you'd be hitting all those those bridges that say 13 feet and lower, and you'd be No, I I take the old American Airlines in and out of all. Oh, boy. You know what? I'm (laughs) a rental car from Avis. I'm just thinking, I'm thinking they're giving you, handing you over the keys to this tractor trailer. No. But I am, I can honestly say I am probably the only welder in the country that has a a, a, a tour bus driver virtually and a tour manager. So. That's amazing. But so so they offered me this job and I was like, oh, crap, you know, 18 weeks. That's a long time. I have a daughter. I'm, uh, you know, I'm just about to get married and like all this stuff going on in my life. And here comes this amazing opportunity. So thankfully, my husband's super supportive and was like, heck, yeah. So it wasn't just 18 weeks for the trailer. That was 18 weeks plus, you know, trade shows and school events and this and that. So it's like, you know, and then now my office is in Miami. I'm in New Jersey. So it's like 20 something weeks a year that I'm gone, you know, 80 ish flights a year. And it was just it's a lot. So I've been doing that now for the last three years. And now this year, though, I'm no longer a full-time employee. I now went to contracting. So now uh, the trailer tour will be a little bit shorter. And um, I'll still I'll do like video content for them and stuff like that. But um, it's just important that I start expanding my own company and stuff. So I tell you what's amazing is that we actually, I was at, uh, over uh, Columbus Day weekend, we were up in this event called Maker's Camp, and we they had uh-huh. this really great, it was a really great, it was like a big field, and they had lots of, we had blacksmithing events, and there was woodworking and stuff like that, but there was also, Lincoln brought a pile of stuff, mm-hmm. including like welding booths, everyone had their own welding booth, and it was yeah. like, I was amazed at how organized they were, but it just makes sense to attract a younger, you know, younger people to get involved with welding, to have stuff that's a little bit more like technologically interesting yeah. and like, you know, yeah. having a trailer and showing people how great welding can be. And yeah. it is such a, it's such a great 
industry that I mean, it's just it's just amazing that you were able to do that. What were some of the great? Did you have any funny experiences on those in those um, drive in that truck or? Oh, yeah. Oh, tons. Um, so I think one of the coolest things that I get to do is every day that we're displaying, I'm giving out a thousand dollar scholarship to us to anybody of any age, whether they're career changers in their 50s, new moms, new dads, uh, just lost their job, high school students, and they have five years to redeem the scholarship towards any type of welding school across the country and in Canada. Wow. So what was your, what was your, uh, what were you, were you like making them do push-ups or something? What, what was your? No. So we have you... the welding simulators. So oh. the highest score at the end of the day, they get three passes. Oh. Their highest score would get recorded, and then the highest score of the day would would win the scholarship. And they come back, and we get to take cool pictures with them. They get a big fake check to take home. They love it. It's how, a, it's a great time. How competitive did that get? Like how some sweet- of the, some of the events because we go to like it's really to like this this tour is meant to you know kind of showcase welding to parents and students and stuff in in big large scale masses so we're not going we're not taking this to like little like small podunk schools in the middle of nowhere we're going to like like the minnesota state fair iowa yeah. state fair osu farm science review uh, sunbell ag expo we're going to like massive events where we're seeing anywhere from you know on a low end 800 students or people a day to 2000 people a day wow so some of them, like the OSU one, where we get so many like FFA and, and 4-H kids coming in yeah. from all the high schools and colleges. Sure. Oh, my gosh. We'll have a ton of people trying for it. And it's like you can't get them out of the trailer to yeah. get new people in because they're so like, I'm going to try it in a minute. I just want to practice a little longer because they can practice. But then when they're ready to like test, they have like it's only those three passes they get to take take the highest from oh man so people are like losing their minds like i know i can do better than this and they yeah. just keep going back and i've had kids come back multiple days like we were at the georgia national fair and we had a kid there he came back for four days straight and finally won it on the fourth day wow that's he kept getting awesome beat. so he would be all he'd come on the trailer every day and check his score check his score and then like towards the end of the day like the last 15 minutes someone would come in and beat his score and he's like damn it <laughs> he'd come back the next day that has got to be the most frustrating thing. You know that that kid's just like, I could get this scholarship, this money's mine, and then all yeah. of a sudden you just get like sniped at the end. Oh, oh, yeah. Yeah, we've had kids follow the trailer like when we're in the state. Like they do like ag stuff, so they'll bring like their show steers or whatever the heck they do, and they'll be bringing them to the different events, and they'll co- keep coming on. They'll bring their friends so that their friends can get a scholarship too, and it's it's pretty amazing what how excited. And the parents... Like the parents get really pumped for their kids to win this stuff. Of course, because it's Except such a great opportunity. Oh, go ahead. We've had well, it's happened twice. Go ahead. Where the dad doesn't get it that if he beats his son, his son doesn't get the scholarship. So he's like, oh, "I'm going to try for this," and then he'll beat his son, and then his name. It's like his the dad just wants to see their name because we have like this big TV screen with the leaderboard and everything. The it's like. All they want to see, it's like playing Pac-Man as a kid. You just want to see your name as the highest score. Like, that's what they do. And then they beat out their son. Like, well, can I just give it to him? Like, no, you already put his name in. Like, you just registered for yourself. Like, I can't just switch that now. So what happened? So what happened? So, so, oh, what a dummy. Yeah. It's very, it's happened twice. Twice? (laughs) Twice. And then, and the parent and the father beats out the kid? Yes. And like my tour manager, Andre, he'll, he'll be like in there because he'll, he normally stays inside with them. 
and like because there's people that run the machines and everything and, and he kind of oversees all that stuff and i normally stand outside and like answer questions and do all that type of stuff and like i'll come inside and Andre was like, listen, if you record your score, you're going to beat your son. Yeah. And he's like, no, 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 I just want to get it on the board. I'm just going to, and like, would completely just like not care what Andre's trying to tell him. And Andre would come outside and he's like, that guy just, just like totally like kicked the rug out from under his son. <laughs> That's so bad. That's so bad. That's so bad. Yeah. I'm a, I, you know, I, yesterday I went on to the, uh, the American, uh, the American Welding Society. That's AWS.org. Yeah, I was stupefied at how much of a great opportunity it is, yeah. and I because I, I had all sorts of questions in regards to is there online learning? Are there resources that you can learn? Because you know nowadays a lot of people can't go to you know they they don't have the time or the energy, especially yeah. if they have another job and they want to get and they want to get you know they want to get more proficient. I mean, most of the most of the guys I know who weld are knife makers. They're just sticking bars of, of Damascus together. They don't give a shit about. <laughs> there's no right. there's no trust me. No bladesmith has weld porn in any of their hashtags i can guarantee you that <laughs> and what i was amazed is at how many how many how much opportunity there is for yeah. you as a member of the aws yeah i mean and then we have like free resources too so like as a member you get discounts on like certain trade shows and like technical standards and stuff like that but then online um, if you're a member, you also get access to a, a ton more scholarships too. We gave out two. We give out over two million dollars a year annually in scholarships to students across the country, wow. um, and all different, like from a thousand dollars beyond, you know, in in monetary. And then we give out uh, last year seven hundred fifty thousand dollars to schools across the country in grant funding. Um, so there's a lot of benefit, especially as instructors and students. And student memberships only like fifteen bucks. So you'll, you'll end up getting in the running for even more scholarships if you're a student member. But we have other stuff, too. We have a lot of free stuff that people can go to at trade shows and everything that you don't even have to be a member of the AWS. You can just attend um, like Fabtech. We always have a lot of stuff going on. Um, but then also we have our, our YouTube channel with a ton of different content. I'm oh, really? in the process right now. Yeah, we have. I did a series. It was me and another guy. Uh, we did a series called Academy, and it's just all little quick, like three to five, seven minute videos of just basic basic welding stuff, just tutorials and everything. And then um, we're also working on a new series right now that'll come out for National Welding Month in May, um, where I go around the country to all different types of, um, you know, industry places that deal with with welding and metalworking. Um, and it's called Metal America. So, so far we've done like, we make aluminum parts for fire trucks. We've done rope. I just went to a place where I built roller coasters, went to another wow. place where I do overhead crane, build overhead cranes. We went to Path Robotics where they make, they do all these robotic cells for, you know, and, and welding engineers and all that stuff. Um, we're going to the Naval Shipyard in Philadelphia next week. Um, so we, we've just really been trying to showcase like all different types of, you know, avenues within the welding industry to kind of, you know, bring light to it in a more in a little bit more of an upbeat way and not yeah. super like boring and like a, a real like lame, you know, interview modern Marvel style thing. It's like diners, drive-ins and dives or right. dirty jobs, but for just the welding industry. It's I would imagine that is this is kind of more of a golden age of welding in the sense that, you know, maybe 30 years ago, people didn't have uh, welders in their homes. I mean, you know, mm -hmm. you meet people who have buzz boxes that they, you know, yeah. you know, they get buzz boxes and stuff like that. But like nowadays, it's so much more, I mean, in the maker community, yeah. it's so much more commonplace to see people with like, with MIG welders. Yeah, you know, multi-process machines are super affordable now. 
I know a lot of people who pay leases on their on their twenty five seventy five. You yeah. know, it's like I'm always surprised at how much more more normal it is for people mm-hmm. to have welders at home. So I would think that more education education would be much you know more in demand. Yeah, yeah, and I and the technology now with the new machines that are coming out, the user friendliness of these multi process machines. You can have you know, people with small garages, you can have one machine that does so many different things, right. you know. Um, it, there's even companies that make welders that have plasma cutters built into yeah. them. And it's like a TIG and a stick and a plasma cutter. Right. You know, like, that's really cool. And it's affordable. Like, you can get some of these things for, you know, anywhere from Harbor Freight for a thousand bucks to, you know, top of the line stuff for several thousand dollars. But there's something for everybody at every price point. And it's they're like super user friendly when it comes to like you just plug in, you just tell it now, like turn the dial and switch it to MIG or TIG. And then you tell it what thickness material you're welding and what kind of wire you're using. And it like auto sets everything like it even takes out some of the training that's needed to even set up your machine, which is pretty awesome. I don't know if it's awesome, to be honest with you. I, part of me think, <laughs> part of me wonders if I, I have I have a big problem in the maker community. Not a big problem, but I feel like technique is being taken away. I think that like processes and equipment are is taking out the human technique. Oh, I can see that for sure. That is like that is lacking. Like I, yeah. I have a, my, all my friends all have like CNC machines and plasma cutters, and and part of me is wondering if that's you know it is you know taking it is taking away the, a lot of the labor and the hard yeah. work. But is are we losing some of our? You're talking to a guy who is a blacksmith, so yeah. I, I have a real grudge so, in regard. I have a grudge in regards to how information is lost in general. Yeah. I can see that for coming from a very traditional standpoint, but right. for somebody like myself, who's an instructor and trying to get these kids jobs or yeah. myself as putting my business owner hat on me, trying to find employees that don't have, might not have all the training in the world, you know, like, yeah. like I said, money is time and time is money. So like being able to like set somebody up on a piece of machine, re- regardless of the brand and now they can sit down on any machine and set it up and still be able to apply that process. Yeah. You know, that's it saves for the business yes, owners. Of now, course. Of course. Know? I mean, well, that's that's the whole reason why the MIG welder was created. I mean, yeah. the MIG welder was created to make welding there's a little hardly bit more any waste, you know, and there's yeah. no cleanup time. Really, and, it, and it's less and it's less and it's yeah. less training. I mean, yeah. to, to learn. I mean, that's the most obnoxious thing before Instagram. The most obnoxious thing would be to meet anybody who just learned how to MIG weld, and they would yeah. go, oh, you, I know that you know that you've met a ton of them who are just like, I'm the best MIG welder you're ever going to meet. I'm a MIG welding champion. Oh, how bad is that? How obnoxious? I was one of those guys, too, because I didn't know a lot of people who welded. I'm just like, dude, I, I'm the best MIG welder. I'm, like, I'm in the MIG welder Olympics, dude. And then all of a sudden, I meet one other guy. I'm just like, whoa, I got to never say that again. Yeah. It's the I worst. Mean, and it's funny because a lot of people just think that the only type of welding out there is MIG, TIG, and stick. Right. Right. But then there's there's brazing processes. There's oxy fuel welding processes. There's submerged arc welding process, laser welding processes, uh, friction stir welding processes. Like there's hundreds of types of welding processes out there, too. So it's it's when somebody says that they're the best at one, you're like, all right, but what about the 900? But it's always but it's always the best at MIG welding. Yeah, but it's never the best because once somebody says they're the best at TIG welding, that means that they've done a little bit more welding than like the only guy who's you know picked up a MIG normally the people that say they're the best at TIG welding it's normally like a one lane thing like they're 
they're only TIG welding stainless or they're only TIG welding carbon say, steel. I was just about to say stainless. I was just yeah. like, oh man, give me a piece, a couple pieces of stainless. It's a filler yeah. rod, boy. It's yeah. going to be like trouble in River City. But yeah, and then all <laughs> yeah. of a sudden, yeah, give you see some aluminum and it's just like, I don't know what I'm doing. I know. And I, that's, that's, I think that's the cool thing about it. Like even as technology kind of adapts to making it more user friendly, um, there's still significant amounts of challenges. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, trust me when I tell you, um, I've hired plenty of people who tell me they can weld and then they get up and it's completely set up for them and they still can't do it right. So. <laughs> that was that was a move my old lead man, John Ledford, used to do when he was like hiring welders. He would give them the, the MIG welder, but then he would change the voltage. He'd change the wire speed. He would turn mm-hmm. off the gas and he would give you uh, four pieces of angle iron and make it make a square box. Yeah. And he would intentionally change the the uh, all the speeds and stuff like that. Yeah. And most of the guys would be like, hey, what's wrong with your welder? Yeah. You know, what's wrong? It's not working. And then, we, yeah. and, and then he would always be like, yeah, we're not hiring. You You can't, you don't yeah. know, you don't know, you you want to know what's wrong with the welder? Yeah. You know, that was always, that was, I, I thought that was a dirty trick, to be honest with you, because I felt like at the time we couldn't find any welders. Yeah. We couldn't find I mean, any welders. it is a little bit of a dirty trick, especially when you're like, if you're hurting for employees, like. You don't want to set these guys up for failure right out the rip. Right. But they should know. I mean, the MIGWO, <laughs> they should, they should know. know. That, sure. I mean, that's like, they should, I mean, you should But, you know. know, sometimes it's, so, like, when I took over as a welding instructor for my students, there, so, something as simple as this, the gas system was on a manifold system. Right. Outside. Yeah. So, every day, one student would go outside and turn this manifold system on. All the other students inside never knew how to change out a gas bottle on a welding machine. Yeah. So some of these kids were graduating after four years of being in this program to me coming in there their fourth year and, and taking the manifold system off and putting bottles in all the booths so that they could all learn something as simple as, you know, regulator safety and switching out gas bottles. That reminds me, number one, this to the listeners too, never trust learning welding from an art teacher. That's number one. That's the <laughs> wor- you will never you will never get a worse welding instructor than an art teacher. Because when I was in college, our art teacher, who was my sculpture teacher, I loved him, but at the same time, he once and I, I was part of the, the welding guys, and I was the mm-hmm. art that was the art shop assistant, and I was like in charge of like of the bottles and everything like that. He had once had a representative from Smith come. And, mm-hmm. the, and the guy from Smith came and he was looking around and he looked a little bit like he had his, his brow was furrowed and he was just like kind of looking around saying, what the fuck is going on in this shop? <laughs> and then he opened up this briefcase with an exploded oxygen regulator. Yeah. And and then my friend Dan said, he says, what, what happened to what happened to uh, what happened to that? I said, what happened? He's like, it exploded. And he says, well, what happened? And then Dan said, well, what happened to the guy who was there when he turned it on? And the guy from Smith says he ate it. Yeah, he ate it, and he Big told us. Hole in her throat. <laughs> he told he told he said to us. He's like, he said to us is like just make sure that when you're done welding for the day that you're turning you're 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 relieving the diaphragm yeah. of all the regulators. Back that out. And then we looked at our teacher because the art teacher said to us, "Don't fucking touch anything," because yeah. because because we we would screw it all up, you know. You yeah. know the, we did, we weren't we didn't have the oxygen at the right time. We were screwing up the oxygen, screwing up the acetylene. So he says, 
don't touch anything. I'm going to set mm-hmm. it for, you know, whatever, 10 and, you know, 7 and seven to 10 and then 40. Don't touch anything. Yeah. Well, the Smith guy was just like, you're going to kill these kids. Yeah. Someone's going to eat this regulator. Yeah. And I'll never forget never trusting that art teacher again. I was just like, this guy is going to have us. We're going to die. We're going to die because yeah. he doesn't realize that you're not supposed, you have to bleed all your regulators. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And that's, that was a big reason why I took everything off a manifold system because yeah. I couldn't send these kids out in good faith to a legitimate welding shop and be like, like I, I would be embarrassed to be yeah. like, all right, here comes, here's my student. He's a really great welder. Okay. Well, the bottle's empty. You got to change that out. I don't know how. Yeah. No, it's, you know, it's, I mean that it's I, I I think that what I'm what I'm hoping for is because there's so much, you know, having welders is such is such more commonplace. I mean, mm-hmm. even in the last 20 years, it's so much more commonplace for people to actually have welders that they're using. You know, yeah. I'm talking about farmers fixing their backhoes mm-hmm. or something like that. I'm talking about like your like weekend warrior who wants yeah. to just make something, you know, some coat hooks or something. Yeah. And I would think that the AWS would be just this extraordinary resource for just anybody, like not just looking for a job. Yeah. No. And it, it, I I mean, I believe that it is. Yeah. I mean, and we even have like monthly meetings too, where people that are, you know, looking to get more information about stuff, they can go to a meeting at some, you know, wherever location across the country, whenever it's in your area. Um, Every area has a, a meeting once a month somewhere. Um, and you can, you know, ask uh, any professionals there for free. You right. know, hey, I'm looking to do this. Or do you know where somewhere I can go and get this? You know, and it's it's a, a ton of different resources, all different types of resources from video content, in-person stuff, books, um, seminars and, and, and webinars and all that stuff wow. is there. All right. How what gets you in contact with the people who made Metal Shop Masters? How, what is, take me through how you become one of the judges of this Netflix TV show. Um, I told them no at first. <laughs> you did. All right. So who, wait, who contacts? You don't have to say the name. Is a producer Just a contact? casting director. And then what, what was the, what was the pitch? They just, they, they, I got an inbox on my Instagram and it was like a casting director. Hey, we're looking to, we're making a show about metal stuff. Would you be interested in competing? And I said, no. Yeah. <laughs> And they're like, oh, okay, um, why? <laughs> and they I said, said they, well. They said they followed back with why? Well, I was like, no, thanks. Um, you know, but here are a bunch of people that I think would be great for this show. And uh, yeah, and they kind of were like, well, you know, I don't know. I don't know what it was about me that they were interested. And um, they asked, you know, what what kind of stuff I did. And I kind of told them that I was the face of the American welding side. And they're like, what's the American welding side? I said, well, it's the world's largest welding how organization. Do you, how do you do, how do, you do a, a welding show and not know that? Yeah. And they didn't know that. And then they're like, okay, good to know. And about two weeks later, they're like, all right, we apologize for asking you to test it. How about you be a judge? And I was like, you know, well, I am not I don't think of myself as like a metal sculptor or anything like that. Like there are far more superior people in that industry than me. And they're like, no, we want you to be the technical person. And then, you know, come the they edit the show and I'm not the technical person. I'm just the mean person. So <laughs> I, I number one, number one is like I, you know, the with us with blacksmiths and bladesmiths is like we deal with forge and fire all the time. Mm. Like I that most of the listen, a lot of the listeners who listen to the show and uh, my other podcast, Knife Talk. They're all been on 
Trojan fire. So we know all about it. One of the things that's always surprises me. And one of the things that surprises me is the surprise, the surprises that people who are in the industry who watch these shows Mm -hmm. seem to think that the people making the shows are bladesmiths, blacksmiths, yeah, or not. in your case, are welders. They're just making a TV show. No. And, and, it, and, and it isn't for you. When no. I say it isn't for you, it isn't for the industry. Yeah, it's for- exactly. So like here I was, I went to this thing, type A personality here. Yeah. I come there and I'm so intimidated because I'm working alongside of David, you know, and he is like, a fucking godsend to the to sculpting these yeah. beautiful things out of metal. And I'm like, oh my gosh, like, I don't fit up to that. Wait, I'm a pipe so welder. Just back so, it up. A, back it up a hair. So you just. So they they say we want to make you a judge to be, or you want you to be a technical assistant. And then you and then what makes you say yes? Um, they kind of like. I don't know. I just was like, all right, well, I'd be interested in it. And they kind of told me a little bit more about the feel of the show and what they were kind of going after. Yeah. And I was like, all right, that sounds like something I would want to represent. And I thought. You know, a woman in industry getting to be on a global platform where she's representing a very male dominated industry as a technical, you know, judge. Like I'm critiquing the technical stuff. You know, I'm going to be telling people about the processes and this and that. So I was like kind of I was, I guess, kind of proud to be able to be that person to be selected because, you know, I didn't go into my career you know 20 something years ago sitting at my desk you know waiting for my first you know weld test to come back right. and and thinking one day yeah. i'm gonna have my own tv show yeah. <laughs> you know and like i didn't think that and and i never thought i was worthy of anything like that you know i you know everybody struggles with that where you look at other people's work and look at what other people are doing and and you envy them and you you inspire to be be more like them and you know i can name tons of people that that i feel that way about but you know, at the end of the day, I was I was proud to be asked and honored to be a part of it. I give you a lot of credit, not for how why you would think. I give you a lot of credit because opportunities have presented themselves, and you you went out of your not out of your way, but you you took them. Mm-hmm. And I think that a lot of people wouldn't do that. And I think yeah. that for you to be able to have these opportunities and, and push for them is very admirable. Thanks. Yeah, and you know, and and it it kind of. Um, I don't want to say it bit me in the ass in the end. You know, we filmed the show and um, proud of the show. But like at the same time, I feel bummed at how I was represented on the show. Really? You know? Yeah. Because I I spent so much time on camera talking about technical processes or talking, uh, you know, why I was critiquing things this way. But then all of it was edited out. And then it just looks like me going around. I don't get it. I don't know what's going on. And then you hear them saying, oh, Stephanie's going to say something about this or Stephanie's not going to like this. But you never know why. Hmm. And I think I just kind of felt a little bit like I was made out to look like just kind of like a dumb girl or just like the mean one. And then the people not accept and here I am, you know, being a, a dumb American, I guess, you know, like in America, it's okay for women to be in this industry and to be at the top of an industry. That's a male dominated industry, right? In other countries, aside from like United States and Canada, that is just not okay. Yeah. <laughs> and people did not like me at all. Like I got flooded with so many people saying such horrible, horrible things to me. I, you know what? I, I'm sorry for that. I'm sorry that you had to go through that. It's nothing to be sorry about. I, I'm, so, I think, I'm not. I'm not apologizing on behalf of them. I'm just saying yeah. that. I'm just saying that it, it sucks that you had to go through that. You know, it, it was one of those things that, like, I went into this with such as positive, like, this is going to be great for women in this industry. This is going to be fucking cool. 
and then to like kind of be like punched in the gut a little bit to be like, okay, not everybody thinks this is cool. <laughs> so like, I think it was kind of startling maybe when it first started happening. And then I just didn't give a crap anymore because I'm like these none of these none of this matters right Right. none of this none of this is going to change who i am none of this is going to change my business from growing or my brand from growing none of that matters and i know that you know me and the other contestants on the show like we all have such a bond that nobody can ever take away from us and you know ivan he was the second like the runner-up on on the show and you know he made this whole post like defending me one day Like, because I guess people were taking to his stuff and commenting in his comments about how much I sucked and I don't know what I'm doing in this. And I shouldn't have been on the show. And, um, you know, and I told Ivan, I'm like, listen, like, don't you don't have to defend me. I'm for for one, I'm used to not being wanted somewhere in this industry. And two, like, it's not about me. It's about showcasing your guys's talents. Like, I'm I'm fine. I'm fine with or without the show. Like, I'm going to keep striving and doing great things, you know, like. But like the fact that you guys got to showcase your talents on such an amazing platform, like just freaking bask in it you know don't worry about the the other stuff that's you know people saying nasty things about me or or anybody else you know like i just want them to enjoy every freaking minute of it yeah it's 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 very interesting because i i really appreciated the show and i appreciated the show from not the reason why you'd think when mm-hmm. I was, you know, when I was, I guess when I started at the Center for Metal Arts as a welder, the only show that was on TV that showed welding was uh, Jesse, uh, Jesse James or mm-hmm. American Choppers. Right. And I didn't, I don't know, not anything about motorcycles. I don't really care about motorcycles either, but I loved it every time they turned on those Miller, those yeah. Miller MIG welders. Yeah. And I watched it just because I'm like, I'm being represented or the people that I'm dealing, yeah. that I deal with every day are being represented. Exactly. And what I appreciated, what I, I didn't really care for the shows in, the, in and of themselves, but I loved seeing welding being represented. Mm-hmm. And it got to the point where I was like, I never miss an episode. And it wasn't for the reason why. It wasn't because I liked the show. It's because I yeah. wanted to see people welding. Yeah. So when Metal Shot Masters came on, I had a because I have a lot of conversations with people with Forge and Fire, and Forge and Fire is very it's not very controversial. It's it's in the industry of bladesmithing and knife making and blacksmithing. It's it's not I don't even frown upon this in the right word. There's a lot of people who feel like they're it's not being represented the way that they think it should be represented. Right. But what I say is, you're giving people. That this number one is it's not for you. The show is yeah. not meant for you. But you're giving the regular population who has no, they never see anvils, they never see forges, they never see power hammers. Yeah. You're giving them a view into the, something that's really important. Yeah. Whether or not you like the show or not doesn't really matter, but it is important because it is it is representing an industry. And what I felt like Metal Shop Masters was was an incredible opportunity to show. Normal people who don't know anything about, or as I refer to as soft-handed people, they Mm -hmm. get to see real welding. I tell you what, the first episode, which I thought was just like, the biggest disappointment I had, obviously, you know, we all have, metal workers all have friends, we all know people on that show, we all root for certain people. The first episode, they did a, a description of what TIG welding was, they did a description of what MIG welding was, they did a description of what the different types of welding was, and I thought, mm-hmm. this is the best part of the show, is because you're explaining to the public about welding, and yeah. then they never did it again. And I thought, this was a real 
opportunity to really sh- express and show people what what's happening you know yeah. and then but at the same time i was like this is representing what welders are I'm doing i'm glad that you brought those those little call outs up cuz i was the one who wrote those <laughs> No, but I mean, that was the, I, you know, when I was watching I mean, it for, It was one of those things where every time I submitted an edit on them, they're like, no, it's got to be shorter. It's got to be more basic. That was, and I was like, people are going to hate me for these. That was, I would say that that was, the, I remember it was the first episode and somebody was using a MIG welder and then there'd be a little note. Yeah, saying, the call this, out on the bottom. Yeah. That was the best part of the whole, and I'm not, I had no idea you wrote that, but yeah. I thought if they do this through the whole show, all of a sudden now it, it's no longer a competition show but it's an educational show because yeah. it's explaining to people what well, that's what doing. i thought i feel like that's kind of what i thought was going to happen because at first they're asking me for these lines like okay how would you explain mig welding in like one or two sentences i'd give them something like we don't understand what you're saying there's words you're, your vocabulary you're using that doesn't make any sense doesn't matter. do it again do it again yeah, do it, it again so i would this... send them like a bunch of edits and uh, i did it on a, on pretty much everything and then there was conversation too where i was on camera but they got rid of all that and then they just used those couple i i, I mean i don't know it i didn't way, edit the show was, <laughs> I, I mean i obviously but that was a missed opportunity because yeah. you 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 can you can give somebody something that doesn't have to be spoon fed yeah. but then if they're showing enough interest they're going to go look up and try to kind of yeah, look up more of for it. sure but i loved that there was this you had this real different description of all these different, you know, types of welding. Cause it's not just MIG welding. You know, yeah. there's so many different things. And I really, 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 I really like that was actually, I thought if this is going to keep going like this, this is show is going to really, that's really great for the welding industry. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't really watch too many episodes though. I couldn't watch myself. So I don't, well, it's <laughs> tough. You know, I, it, it's tough because it's for the, the I loosely great, watched it. I don't like it would be it. on, but I like I couldn't like focus. It was weird. It, I can understand the editing. The editing becomes so problematic, and it, yeah. and it's problematic because you know that there are certain things that are important, but obviously they have to kind of condense it yeah. down for a specific. Yeah, audience. and it's hard. Like, and I do a lot of video content for, especially for the American Welding Society. Right. So I'm used to like watching, but like. I'm a lot more involved in the actual editing. So with this show, it was just like we did our part and then a year later it comes out and we never got a taste of what it looked like before it aired on Netflix. So like then seeing it and being like, oh, that wasn't in there. Oh, that wasn't in there. Oh, that great moment. Like there was this amazing moment with me and Frank where like Frank was ready to quit. And instead, it looks like I go over there and just kind of like, go, ugh, whatever, this sucks. But in reality, what happened was I was sitting there coaching him and talking him through it to keep him motivated, to keep him moving and helping him go, Okay, let's think about this. You know, I was going back to like when I would work with my students, when they would get frustrated or feel like they're up against a wall. And I'd be like, all right, let's let's think this out. How can we make this? How can we go from here to here with like the least resistance? You know, like how can we get what we need to get done done to complete the challenge? And we had this whole great moment. (laughs) It was cool. You know, and um, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I mean, I I didn't edit it. They make they make all these TV shows are not made. They're made very. They're very. They're for a very broad audience. They're for a very broad audience, and and the people who are making it are like, well, what's well, you know, they they had no idea. Yeah, which is and people forget. So people love to like rip us apart when they don't even know what. I mean, one episode would take us about three days to film. Oh my god. 
and, oh and they legitimately had, say, a 10-hour time span. That's all they had. But that was 10 hours to do that. So it was like two days. They would get two five hours because then there's lunch, there's safety in the morning, there's cleanup in the after, at the end of the day. Then they have to do interviews throughout the day. That would take two days. And then the third day would be, all right, now we're doing the, the, the scene where we're going through and, and, you know, eliminating somebody and stuff like that. So, like... People don't realize, you know, that's 72 hours of footage condensed into a 35-minute show. What, and they don't realize that you did that at the height of the pandemic. Yes. That yes. is, when I talked to Leah Arpach about the protocols that you guys went through, Yeah, I felt like that was really the show. Because, like, I would have wanted to know what was that like. I mean, she was when she explained it, she said, they brought us to a hotel, and then they, we had a quarantine for two weeks in a hotel room, and then it yeah. was like, it was like... I mean, it was like so. A three weeks almost. to show, like the film show, took us like seven weeks to do because of it. God, what was and that, that all it, of us, you know, like granted, as they got eliminated, they were able to go home, but um, you know, the ones who made it to the end, we were there for almost seven weeks, six weeks, seven weeks. That's crazy in L.A., which is like you couldn't get any more shut down than L.A. And, the, and vaccines are not out of the time. There's no. It's all COVID no. protocols. And the pro, you know, I t- I, a good friend of mine worked on uh, Don't Look Up, the Netflix uh-huh. movie Don't Look Up. Yeah, and they filmed that. They filmed that in September of. They filmed that in the September of dis- of 2020. Mm-hmm. So that was before that was this. All right. So the summer is when the big first wave came in the spring and the summer was first wave came in New York. And then they went up to Canada to film because mm-hmm. it's September, something like that. He said it was crazy. Yeah. To, to, the, the, to the, way, the way that they had to film it because it was just so much. The covid protocols were mm-hmm. insane. So yeah. I can't imagine what that shook because there's a ton of people on that set. Yeah. We had 81 people on our set. Oh, my God. And. So it was 81 people. They had all these COVID bubble things. They were, you know, the contestants I felt bad for because they were really like locked down on top of being extremely stressed. So like they weren't even allowed out of the hotel. Yeah. Like David and I would go out for dinner or something like that, but I don't even know if we were really supposed to be doing that. But, um, but they didn't tell us not to either, but like it it costed so much money that it actually impacted the overall budget for the show for what we were able to like get for the show like we had to curtail challenges because of how much the covid stuff costed i'm i'm not i'm i'm surprised and not surprised i've heard anywhere that like nowadays when you're making a film or tv show it's like 20 to 30 percent for covid for covid stuff so i mean yeah but when we we did it in september of 2020 september into october of 2020 and um yeah, it cost them like half a million dollars to do because we were getting tested every two days. Wow. So, so what, they had to have on site. So we had like two or three safety COVID people on site all day, every day. And then when you walked in, you were getting tested. And then they had like all these. It was it was weird. It was terrible. It was and it's stressful because, you know, what's interesting about that show is and I know that a lot of people say and I, I've heard you you interviewed with with David and, and you both, 
you know, vehemently, you just said it here, how close everyone was. Mm-hmm. And I wonder if, the, if there's a couple factors. I was thinking about how close all the contestants were. There wasn't backbiting. There wasn't what you would normally think from watching like Survivor or something like that. Yeah. It, part, of me, I, part of me feels like one of the reasons why is because nobody knew what the fuck was going on because it was exactly. the first season. You're also in the middle of a pandemic. Let's not try to be, you know, exciting. I mean, yeah. you know, we don't need any more excitement. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And then the other thing is, is I wonder if it has to do with because the contestants were so uh, diverse. Like there was a yeah. good representation of men and women on that show. Mm-hmm. And I wonder if that made it a little bit more. And because most of the contestants on there were sculptors. You know, yeah. so they were they had art major. They were art majors or sculptors or artists or whatever. And I wonder if that was the reason why there was there's such a tightness. I don't know. I think I think a lot had to do with all of us didn't know what we were getting yeah. ourselves into. I think we were all nervous about yeah. how we were going to be represented um, for sure. Um because I think every, I think everybody expects there to be a lot more drama in these yeah. types of shows. You know, especially it's like cutthroat. There was like a time where actually I got like annoyed. Because it was too like hunky dory kumbaya, yeah. like they're all like hugging. They, you know, there was so you don't see in the show after every challenge, people were actually winning. Um, it's not in the show at all. Um, so every challenge there would be a winner, and they would get a special like prize, either an extra hour or they get a token. They could save somebody from going home. Like there was all this stuff that they, you know, wasn't didn't make the show, but like. When it came to those things, it was just like annoying because you want them to be like cutthroat with these these things that they're winning. And yeah. instead, they're like, I don't want to use it. I'm going to yeah. give it to you. Yeah. Do you mind? Yeah, yeah. And I'm like, oh, my God, cut the garbage here. We're, we're competing for money. See, <laughs> like, but you, know, you said you said they made you come out mean. I mean, like that's that you want. If I'm with you, I'm with you. Like I, I would have been like, you know, you take you, you either use it or we take it away. Yeah. Like if I was a competitor, yeah, I probably would have been pretty like intense and cutthroat and i and i don't think i would have done it in a way that like everybody hated me but at the same time i'm trying to win you know and then the, and then the editors have been like cute oh, she, stephanie's gonna be our heel she's gonna be yeah. she's gonna be perfect she's gonna be perfect. <laughs> she, wants to, she wants to whip that person's ass well that's obviously what's gonna happen the second season they tried they tried they tried to get the interviews to be uh for them to like Bad. rag on each other and stuff yeah. and they just wouldn't do it yeah it's i think a lot of it is the pandemic i think that, i think they'd all had enough i think they'd all yeah. had enough about the drama yeah this brings me to this you know it's what's interesting is is like I, throughout the show i was wondering if it's a fabrication show or it's an art show mm-hmm. and the thing is is like i kind of for when i got out of college i i naturally called myself a steel sculptor and the mm-hmm. reason why is because it's very descriptive because when you start calling yourself an artist people just like they start to grill you like what do you mean or if you say you're <laughs> just a sculptor people automatically assume that you got like marble and like mallets yeah, and you're like carving. clay or something like right that, yeah so I used to call myself a steel sculptor, and then what would happen would be is like it would it 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 it, it fed into my own narcissism, and I was really unreasonable. You know, I was like, like <laughs> I, I had very. And my wife said to me, she says, you know, other people have jobs too. You know, when you go yeah. to these parties, you sound ter- you sound like you're just so full of yourself. So what's interesting is is like you have you know, is it an art show or is it a fabrication show? Mm-hmm. That's what I mean. What did you think it was? Cause, cause I just thought like, it was like kind of a merging of them, yeah, of the two, which is tough. Yeah, and it was tough, like because they they literally had two people critiquing, like somebody who is a true, tried and true, like classically trained welder fabricator with somebody who is a tried and true metal sculptor. Yeah, and 
like, how do you see eye to eye on everything? It was like when I tell like they didn't have any say in who we were picking and choosing. There was it was David and I and that was it. Like and there was a couple of challenges where like we were like, like, like butting heads in our dressing rooms at lunch being like, no. And I'd be like, no, absolutely not. Like this, this and this was a no-go yeah. and he'd be like no but stephanie it's just so beautiful and and the textures and <laughs> like, David, like get you out know, of here you, you do an impression of david i do a mean impression of ivan do you? i do i do an impression of, and going no I, I actually i think i do the i did the impression of ivan to to leah and it starts like this and hello i yeah it's happy saturday i I'm working on this thing, and and then there's like usually like some sort of deep swallow. Yeah. And then uh, yeah. hope you like it. And yeah, and the, then he does the yeah. wink at the end. Yeah, yeah, yeah. here's to you. And yeah, it cl- <laughs> that's another thing that people on Instagram do is when they finish something, they usually give the thumbs up and then they click their tongue. I never figured that out. Like, All right, see you later. I don't know. I never figured out what that was, but there's so many Instagram people do that. It's just like hilarious. I never like, they don't know how to finish. It's like it's like their own like mouth punctuation. I never yeah. really figured that out. No, but I, I don't. You I never noticed that. I don't think Go, I do when that. you watch when you watch people's stories and they say number number two is when they start to wish you a good particular day. Uh-huh. Leave it alone. You, yeah. No one gives a shit. No one gives. Don't don't wish me a good Tuesday. It'll be fine. We'll make it through. You don't have to. And I don't need your your hope and hopes and dreams. You know what Tuesday. I always find hard is go ahead. If I try and do videos and stuff, I hate starting a video because I hate being like, hey, everybody. Like, I, I that's like the worst. My move now is one shot Charlie. And if it sounds like shit and then I realize it sounds like shit, I address how much shit it sounds like. And then I go <laughs> with it. Like, it's one shot Charlie and it's not. Me- and if it's no good, then it's no good. Yeah. And then that's like, the way I, it is. I feel like I refuse to do those. Yeah, hey, you terrible. know, I just they're, don't do them anymore. Well, it's because it's very like you don't know what to do. I mean, it's yeah. so it's so it's antisocial. Like like, yeah, it's antisocial. What you're doing is to, to address everybody. Hey, happy Tuesday, everybody. Look what I'm doing. But if you just talk and then in the middle, you start to think, boy, you sound stupid. And then yeah. you say, what? I really sound stupid right now. That's when you press <laughs> press send because those are the best ones. So what's interesting is, is like we were talking about David Madero. And one of the things that David Madero did, does in his work that fascinates me the most, in, in, including into the show. And I'm wondering, I'm assuming you guys are doing a second season. It's just like you had a, a pretty great groundswell. And I mean, you obviously, you don't, you're not going to tell me, which is fine. <laughs> um, what interests me was in the concept of the critique mm-hmm. was, and it wasn't addressed in the show, but it, I was kind of hoping that David was going to address it at one point, is how do you... When you're talking about your work as a steel sculptor, mm-hmm. wh- the, why does it matter that you're using steel as a material? That's number one. Like, that's mm-hmm. the one thing. Like, I always, like, when I work, when I look at my work, as I really try to be very uh, expressive and, and explain why I'm doing what I'm doing and the reason why I'm using the material that I'm doing. Mm-hmm. The second thing is nobody ever addresses the vocabulary of the weld in and of itself in the sculpture. Does does that make sense? Yeah. And the reason why I say that is because, and I'm very critical of metal sculptors, and I'm sure you are too, because there's this thing called welding voodoo that I I, I used to say it all the time. It's basically like the people who don't know anything about welding, they're just like, wow, wow, look at this, like black magic, this this Mm -hmm. welding. This is amazing. But then you realize, okay, there's MIGS wire sticking out all over the place, and obviously he was welding steel to iron, and it didn't really, there was no penetration or whatever. So, what I'm amazed at is with 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 David 
is he the weld is a very important part of the work. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like it's a physical it's 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 but it it's helps. not like a good weld it's just like a well, it's a tech he calls it textured welding well, but what he's doing is because i mean i had to stop when i do when anytime i do sculpture with steel i stopped really i mean i do like little things here and there for with the mig welder and like found objects and stuff like that for for customers and stuff but like if i'm doing my own sculpture i like doing oxyacetylene welding with mm-hmm. eighth inch rod because all of a sudden you're you know it's the for me it was like the truest form of of Mm-hmm. of drawing but then you're incorporating the weld to, the weld has a reason the the, mm-hmm. rel, the weld helps accentuate the idea that you're trying to get across right and he's I think, very good at that pardon me he's very good at that. yeah no but i mean it it becomes it becomes something that like especially in critique and mm-hmm. i almost feel like it would be if you really wanted to have some hustle is you get instead of you judging it you get them to do an art critique you get this, yeah. the, the, the people to talk about the work because yeah. then all of a sudden and it becomes like well we filmed the whole critique they just didn't put it in the in the episodes where we go over like every single detail of why we're choosing this, what we like, why this didn't work, what materials did they use? Did they use silicon bronze? Did they use just steel? Did they try yeah. and use this? And they just, they didn't put it in there. Huh? Yeah. Have you had any talks in regards to a second season or you can't really talk about it? Uh, I, yeah, I don't okay. know yet. I don't All know right, what's so, going on. All right, let's see I see it. All right, ladies and gentlemen, trust me that we, we, it'll be fine. I'm sure it'll be fine. Yeah. I but mean, it, we'll see. It was a good, but it was ultimately a good experience, right? Oh yeah, it was a great experience. I wouldn't change it for the world. Even, so. You know what? I I, I wonder because I, I know I've heard before you you talk about how people were weren't super duper nice to you after mm-hmm. the fact. Did it bring you back to when you were taking those? classes and your you know your your classmates were kind of mean to you did you did, yeah. did, was it the same kind of feeling uh i f- i feel like this was different uh it felt a lot more like um personal personal it felt a lot more um you know you, you just you just look at yourself and i, I don't want to i don't have i don't think i have a big ego or anything but like i've accomplished a lot for yeah. for somebody in this industry male or female yeah. I, I like to think you know um, I own a fabrication company. I'm the face of the American Welding Society. Um, been in the military, have a ton of certifications, opening up my own welding school. Like I've done a lot. Yeah. And to have so many people tell me that I wasn't worthy or I wasn't good enough, like it kind of sucked. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So, well, just to let you know that like most people think that if you haven't been on Forge and Fire, you're not really a bladesmith. So, yeah. so don't yeah. worry about that. I mean, yeah. I mean, <laughs> I, I can only imagine. I can only imagine the criticism must have been very hard. I'm a mom now too. My daughter's right. 13, and you know, like I, I always just think about that. Like, what is she going to read? What is she going to see? What are the kids at school going to say? You know, and I think that was like the hardest, yeah. the hardest part about uh about the whole thing. Well, like, what you, it she, almost makes me like. You know, I just don't even know, like, you know, if if we ever get another season, like, I I would do it, but I don't know. Netflix, you got to pay, man. Stephanie's in this, but she got to bring it. Come on, you got to pay. You got to. She's she's put her heartstrings out there. I can tell you that. (laughs) I know. You know what? That's what they and they all say it's exposure, right? Yeah, and you know, and that's the other thing. It's like, yeah, it's great for exposure, but. Exposure doesn't pay the bills. Yeah, that's not that's, putting food in my fridge. That's you the know? biggest hustle of all time. Exposure yeah, that's is the worst. Yeah, kind of where I'm at. 
Well, you know that that's the interesting thing about the art world in general is 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 people people most artists are taken advantage of. Yeah. And most artists are taken advantage of by gallerists and dealers. It's because they know that there's this there's this need for there to be some sort of money or somebody to like take care of you, and you mm-hmm. hope that you're found. And then all of a sudden they use exposure, and then they say, if, you know, this exposure is going to mean this and that and the thing, and it's usually always wrong. Which brings me to your company. Mm-hmm. Underground Metalwork. I am very happy for you after hearing all this that you have your own fabrication shop because that ultimately is the that's the game. That's yeah. the game. Don't let people don't be, you know, don't hope that other people take you out of what you need to do and you're taking yeah. it upon yourself. Yeah. When did you start Underground Metalworks? Um I started it on accident while I was teaching um cuz my high school my seniors would be all out on co-op so during the day, the, the two or three that I would have left over, I would start doing like other projects for friends and tattoo shops and roll cages and stuff like that. And it just kind of grew into its own thing. And, uh, you know, my dad passed away. So that's kind of where the underground whole like metalworks thing comes from. It's just because I feel like I'm just paying homage to him a little bit. Wow. You know, he's not with us anymore. But, you know, Sorry to hear that. got this whole thing going. And uh, so... It kind of started there when I was teaching, and then when I left teaching, um, got into the AWS, and then had a little bit more time when I wasn't on the road with the tour to kind of focus on, you know, building my company. And yeah, so like I officially became an LLC uh, two, three years ago. Oh, that's now. amazing. But I've been in business for longer than that, but like in a, you know, a yeah. tax ID'd uh, sure, <laughs> business, sure. two or three years. Um, got, you know handful of people that you know work for me and and all that and we do all types of stuff from uh restaurant build signage hair salons tattoo shops um just people's beach house stuff um there's all that type of work which is very weird because when i was a welder i was doing a lot more industrial heavy duty pipe yeah. work and different and large scale fabrication and now you know i, I don't do that anymore and i you know it's just weird like my the my career path in in the welding industry has changed so much and then um you know i decided uh, i'm friends with uh jesse james and um he really is the one who kind of encouraged me and kind of said you know what like you gotta fucking do what you love and if teaching is what you love like take it and make it an experience and i was like what the fuck do you and i was i was with him a couple months back i was like what do you mean like so I, I went home, I sat on it and I was telling my husband, I'm like, then make it an experience. Like, how, do, we, how yeah. do you make welding school an experience? So when I started designing what I wanted, I'm like, all right, I don't want large scale classes. I don't want 20 people in a class that I can't individualize training for each one of these people. I want to offer buildable training so people don't have to feel like they have to come in and commit to this $17,000, you know, structural course when that's not really what they want to do. Like, what about for the makers and the people who want to do art and the people who want to just, you know, work on their race cars at home? Like, I want to provide something for them too. So I have like all the traditional certifications and, and all that type of stuff you can come and get. But then I also have weekend classes. I have in the summer, we're going to, I have a, a bladesmith guy is going to teach some bladesmithing, um, you know, and just, you know, women and welding stuff. So, if the, you know, there's chicks out there that want to weld, but are a little intimidated. To, you know, it's not something that they have to be frightened of. It's something they can come in and you come in and the the front room it's like beautiful tiles and crazy crown moldings and furniture and like art stuff you can purchase and you know boutique style like uh like welding jackets i have a new line of welding jackets coming out with outlaw leather and they just got 
amazing they're just great and um you know you can buy like cool safety glasses like bomber i wear safety glasses and rugged charm jewelry and it's not like a welding store but it's yeah. just you can buy cool stuff there um and then like you go out to the shop and it's like beautiful uh, black sparkle epoxy floors with stamped tin tiles on the wall incredible murals like the f- the booths are floating so it's very interactive and collaborative like you're not shoved on a little like you know yeah, four yeah. by four cell like all the electric and gas and and um airlines are all piped through the ground like i cut up all the floor and comes up right underneath all the welding stations so like that's my idea of making a welding school into awesome. an experience. So I just took my, my experiences as a welding instructor, took out the things I didn't like. Um, and that was just large one size fits all type training. You're one, one or two people in a room can't teach 20 people and have all eyes and, and give them attention that they deserve for their money. So I, I know I could have 10, 20 booths in there if I wanted to, but at the end of the day, it's about, you know, giving people adequate training and, and for them to feel like they're getting their money's worth out of what they're what they're there for. That's awesome. I tell you what, I used to I used to when I was one of the welding shops I was in, it was pretty grim. And mm-hmm. I would always I would always we would do these giant jobs, but then I'd always be nervous when they would bring customers in. Yeah. So I would always think this isn't the place you should show them because it yeah, looks like exactly. a bit of a dump. And yeah. when I built my shop, I wanted it to look a little bit more, not like, you know, not like a dump, not like a, because yeah. I wanted my knife shop to be more like a metal shop. But at the same time, I wanted it also to be some place where people could look and be like, wow, that's really cool. Or that's yeah. really neat. So I can, I, you're creating an experience. I think it's awesome. Yeah, I hope that other people are going to look at my school and be like, wow, I need to step it up a bit. I mean, you go in, even into the bathroom. Like when I show pictures of what's like the bathroom has this crazy chandelier, black toilets and black vanity and like ah. black crown molding, like incredible tile. Like it's it's not something where you, like I've thought about like the fit and finish of every single detail. And I spent way more money than it's an ungodly amount of money that I spent on just making it look cool. Black but I toilets. think in the end, you know, that'll hopefully pay itself back in the end because people are going to see that and want to be a part of it, you know? Black toilets are the move because we all know as right? welders that porcelain doesn't like the rust. <laughs> I know. And that's what I was thinking about. I yeah. thought, I don't yeah. want people to come in and this is the bathroom. Even if it is dirty, it won't yeah. look dirty. <laughs> well, that's, so. yeah, that's the thing. That's, I mean, I've, I've literally changed in every metal shop I've ever been in. I've easily changed two or three toilets because yeah. the, you know, it, the, the guys are like, it falls off their apron or their coat or something like that. And it gets on the, onto the porcelain and then it kind of like embeds and there's no yeah. getting it out. There's no getting so it the out. Black toilet. Where do you get black toilets? I, that's what Just I, I Depot. Home Depot sells. It wasn't toilets? expensive. It was the same price. Damn, it was like two hundred bucks. Listen to guys. Listen to that, guys and gals. <laughs> black toilets. That's the that's the move. You you yeah. know that it's a real welder when they get black toilets because yeah. they I don't want to have to replace them. They're filled. Hopefully, they're disgusting. I should have photos up. I want to put photos once it's like really like done. Done now. I haven't been posting many photos except for like the murals that have been done. But uh, like on the wall, like. It says, I don't know if you saw it, but it's just the, my Reaper logo, and like it looks like neon, but it's all spray paint. I saw, uh, and I it says, see that, enjoy yeah. the ride, stay rad. And, and I just think that's a really cool motto to have. Like, why are we all in there? We're just, it's just a rad environment. We're just trying to enjoy the ride. So, <laughs> so. what's next for Stephanie Hoffman? What's next? Come on. Uh, I, I know you got something more. in the <laughs> You got something in the pipes. I know there's you and you, Netflix, you guys are like, lot, no, lot, you know, I, fighting it honestly, up, fighting it out. 
I just want this this school. Like my number one thing right now is making this school something that people want to experience to bring welding to all different types of people. I don't want people to feel afraid of welding anymore. I want people to come and be excited and ready to just create some rad shit. And when I'm done with that, I just want to golf. Golf. You love golfing. What is I'm, it about I'm, golfing? I'm obsessed because I feel it? like. You you know, I'm a very like a uh, challenge driven person, you know, and when yeah. I, I don't mean to sound like I'm full of myself or anything, but like, well, I don't know what more can be for me in the welding industry. Like, I don't know yeah, how many more no, notches on I mean, my belt I can put in there. And golf has just become this like stress outlet for me. It's super challenging. But watching the progress of how much better I'm getting, like I'm going to hopefully I'm going to be doing tournaments in the spring and just like kind of just shifting gears and just being outside and and enjoying, you know, just being in my own zone and working on something that's challenging me right now is kind of I think where I'm at. I think the next bit for you would be who are you, who are you with ESAB? You're not with Miller, right? You're with ESAB. ESAB yeah. Mm-hmm. Get ESAB to do the Stephanie Hoffman series MIG welder. And then that's the next, that's the only, that's the only mountain on top is like you have your yeah. series, artist series, MIG welders. Those are going to happen. Yeah. I mean, Those I have the happen. branded jackets coming out with, with outlaw leather, but other than that, that's, they're more w- curtailed to women, you know, they're, they're like you. chick jackets, but they're like pretty rad. This I'm going to ask you the most controversial question right now. And you have okay. to be honest, overrated, right. underrated, or perfectly rated. Taylor ham and egg. Taylor ham or pork roll? Is it overrated or underrated? Taylor well, first ham. of all, it's pork roll. Oh, okay, all right. Now I know we're serious. I, I, I know some people say Taylor ham, some people say pork roll. Overrated, underrated, or perfectly rated? If somebody's calling it Taylor ham, you need to unfriend them immediately. Really? It's pork roll. Okay, okay. Is it's that pork more, roll. Is pork roll more South Jersey? I think so. Okay. Because closer to Philly, it's Taylor ham, right? Or Northern Jersey's Taylor. Northern Jersey's Taylor Ham. All right, so is it is it overrated or underrated? I, I'm going to give you a sandwich: uh, t- pork roll and egg and cheese on a roll. Overrated. On a roll, on- no, it has to be on a bagel. On a on a roll, that's overrated. Okay. On, on, a, a, bagel? on a bagel. It's perfectly rated. Perfectly rated. All right, you're gonna, I'm going to give you two sandwiches, and you're going to okay. tell me which one's better, and you got to be honest. Okay. A, a New York style. Bacon, egg, and cheese, bodega sandwich, fried egg, American cheese, bacon on a Kaiser roll, or a pork roll on a bagel with cheese and, and egg. Which is better? Oh, pork roll on a bagel with cheese and egg. All right. There you pork go. Pork roll, egg, and cheese. The peck. There you, there you <laughs> got it. There you got it. Stephanie Hoffman took you a stand. You got to the peck with salt, pepper, ketchup. <laughs> oh, man. Do you know what? I'm not going to have this conversation. You doesn't beat doesn't beat the BEC. I'm sorry, man. I, I, you've been an incredible guest, but now you're being this is outrageous. Bacon, egg, and cheese beats a pork roll and egg and cheese. Come on, man. I'm a PS. I love Philly and I love the PA guys and all the guys are going to be giving me an inbox on Friday. Don't worry, guys. I'm Hopefully they're on the pork roll team. You know, so we go to a lot of hockey games and the Devils want the Jersey Devils. They had a thing one night and you had to vote. Was it uh, like pork, Team Pork Roll or Taylor Ham or whatever? My husband got his little like devil's pin that says I voted and it was for Pork Roll. <laughs> well, who won? Which one won? I don't remember. It was probably Pork Roll. Okay, Pork Roll. I'm with you. 
Stephanie Hoffman, you know her, undergroundmetalworks.com. She's underground underscore metal underscore works. Underscore works, underscore works. Mm-hmm. Go follow her, and I want to I want to say one last thing. You guys should go to the American Welding Society. Go to their website, W-A-S dot, no, my mistake, A-W-S dot org. <laughs> Don't go to W-A-S dot org. <laughs> go to A-W-S dot org and see what they're doing. This might be the opportunity. You, some of you guys are in your shops, you're in your sheds, you, you, you got your welder, you want to get better. This might be the, be a member. Be a member, and, and it's a definitely worth it. It's a very, it's an extraordinarily good website. They have a lot of opportunities, and it's a great, it's a great thing for this uh, this great trade that is welding. Stephanie, yeah. thank you so much. I really thank appreciate you. it. You, thank you. I wish you all the best of luck, and, and you're going to be great. Guys, thank you, and follow Stephanie Hoffman. All right. See you next week, everybody. The Full Blast Podcast is proudly sponsored by Axe Wax, an all-natural, food-safe wax for coating your handles. It can be used on your axes, your knives, or even on your boots with the full confidence that Axe Wax is safe and durable. Furthermore, if you use the promo code FULLBLAST10, you will get a special 10% discount on your order. So go to axewax.us and get yourself some of the most luxurious wax for waxing your axe. If you like this show, take a look at our other shows made for makers just like you at www.makery.network.